competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet on the planet with your host paul murphy and expert coach nick nanavati Hey everybody, well, welcome back to part two of this episode here on the Art of War. My name is Paul Murphy, got Nick Nanavati here. Hello, hello everyone, how's it going? And we got Vyasar Ganesan, welcome back for part two, thanks for joining us. Uh, of course, it's a real treat to be with you guys for part two. And we're talking Tyranids. This is where we get down into the almost like the nitty gritty. Talk about some of like the real critical decision points, matchups, maybe how you would battle against certain lists. We're going to talk about Adeptosaurus. You know, they are, I think, uh, I don't say public enemy number one, but you know, we've seen an uptick in their victories. And we got Necrons. You know, there's all these kind of things out there that are, I guess, the boogeyman for the next couple of weeks or so. I want to talk about how you encountered them. Also, want to say thanks to the subscribers that are in this part with us listening. It means a whole lot. Really appreciate y'all being here that's why we do it yeah i'm super excited to get into it yeah sir why don't you start off by walking us through what you played against at the uh at the lone star open right so my very first matchup was against gene stealer cults from there i moved right into um to consult my binder again actually from there i moved right into uh adeptus custodes uh and then from there into black legion chaos space marines after that on day two we went into orcs gray knights and then finished with Black Legion uh, again. So I got very lucky not touching Sisters or Necrons. Public Enemies number one or two completely missed me by a country mile. Well, That's the way it works out sometimes, yeah. Yeah, you play the games that are given to you. You know, the meta is the meta. I'm sure you had plans for those armies and I'd love to unpack them. Uh, but also, like, it shows to your adaptability as your play- as a player. You were able, you know, the armies you played are diverse. I think the only repeat you have is a brand new Codex Chaos Space Marines. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, still, even though you didn't play best armies in game necessarily you you still played a diverse field set so shows to your generalship and your army's capabilities let's unpack some of it i want to start off actually with chaos space marines because uh they're dear near and dear to my heart and they're brand new and people might not even know what they do so what is this matchup like how do you approach it so this matchup is almost the same uh between the two both are bringing big bricks of terminators both are bringing either chosen or little brought to legionaries both are bringing out you, you mean both the players you played against? Both the players I played against, yes. Yeah. And that appears to be, I was reading um, some articles about the GTs this week and, and last week and seeing it pretty consistent. Like, that's if you're playing Black Legion, you're bringing the Terminators, you're bringing Abaddon, and you're bringing Chosen Legionaries to run about. The big differences um, that, I, that I came into was one of them is bringing two Venom Crawlers, and the other one is just bringing three massive beat stick characters. Russell Tassin, who I played in the last round, brought a super buffed up Lord Discordant and a Demon Prince of Slanesh, which I can kill Abaddon. Sure, like I, I can. it's going to take me some time. The Hive Tyrant with the, with the Reaper of Obliterax might get there in one turn if I'm really lucky. But the other two beats the characters put, are able to put pressure on multiple places on the field, and it's a lot to chew through. Did, and, did that Lord Discordant have the relic that uh, basically lets him do like eight extra attacks or whatever the surprisingly no it wasn't the eight extra attacks it was the uh the three up invul i think really is it just a harder to kill disco lord just a just a much harder to kill disco lord interesting it still did a lot of work and it still explodes and does a lot of damage when it explodes it was it was a really interesting way he played it but i think it was a it's an efficiency thing right he's getting he's trying to get more mileage out of it making it harder to kill because he recognizes that it can be killed at range so hiding it behind terrain screening it trying to 
block it with chosen or possessed or whatever he has to make sure it gets into combat, gets in a position where if it dies and explodes, it's going to be really bad for all parties involved. It's a scary, scary matchup. And the Terminators, I think I was really intrigued to see that Russell wasn't bringing the, the, um, their chaplain equivalent with a litany that makes them trans to hit hitting on fours and higher, which is so, so punishing against a unit. That's already so punishingly tough because the my dark first apostle opponent, is what you're, you're talking about. Correct. The dark apostle. Thank you. That's, that's the unit name. Um, because my first opponent, he did that, and he did the toughness five psychic power, and he did the five up feel no pain psychic power on them. And just, I thought I was the resilient player. I thought High Fleet Leviathan was the one that was hard to shift. Because it's one thing when you can only wound them on a four, it's very different when you can only hit them on a four and you can't reroll hits against them. And their mind is one to wound, so it's like your wounds are great either. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's a very, very much more stacked opponent. Um, I, my, my logic with those matchups is really just avoid the Terminators for as long as possible. And that's what I did. I, I think in the first match, I played it so far back. I play, I tried to stay as far back as possible until the until I saw my moment. There was one moment where he missed a litany, where he failed a psychic power, and the Terminators were just that much easier to kill. And that's when I knew, okay, both Carnifexes have to charge here. I have to put as much pressure on them as I can right now as my best chance of doing anything. And I picked up, you know, three or four in that turn, which is not nothing on a Brick of Nine. So it sounds to me like you played this game totally different to every other game you've described so far, where it's like your general strategy is to just kind of wander into the middle of the table with toughness while harpies are causing disruption and distraction for your opponent. So in this game, I imagine there weren't many answers to the harpies, so they're kind of doing their own thing in this match. How'd you play them? And then also, what? how do you make the decision to to play the backfield with your board control, toughness, Tyranid army? Yeah, uh, it's not comfortable, let me tell you. It's very, very uncomfortable to see all of your strongest, killiest units just lurking and sneaking and hiding and hoping that nothing can touch them and watching Terminators just creep up the table. Discipline's tough in that situation. It's so hard. It's so Especially hard. If, you, if you spent you know four or five games being the aggressors. Yeah. Uh, yeah, with you. I, I, I think. Well, also, it's almost our team had a mantra. Like, it's almost autopilot at some point. Like you, every game is just repetitious. Like let's push yeah. the army into the middle of the board and run the opponent over in some capacity. And if every game is like that, you get to round five and you're like, time to reassess the plan. Like that is absolutely discipline, Paul. Like very. I think yeah. I have fallen in the trap myself where I kind of execute the same strategy over and over when I do it too many times in a row. And it's, it's it can be a punishing mistake in bad situations. The the biggest thing that helps that discipline is the, is two things. The reminder first to play it slow. That was our motto for the weekend. Just you have the time. You have the time in the round to play this fully this game fully. Play it as slow as possible if you need to. Uh, and I needed to there. So like forcing myself to just mentally slow down and just recognizing that his stuff is tough. It's like just constantly reminding myself and constantly asking the question. Like I said, last, last time I was with you guys asking the questions over and over again. It's my first time playing against this codex. I need to learn. I need to know. I need to grow and seeing what they do. I think I also, that the mission that we played at that one, uh, that was day one. That was conversion. So our deployment zones were already, it's the diagonal deployment with this, uh, the nine inch circle in the middle. So playing that one far back is hard. Right, because you're just so close to each other. Your base uh, size is also, I mean, like really kind of working against you in that situation. Absolutely, yeah. But again, picking one side and either holding it or pushing it up the table, I think, was still worked. And you know, feed one feeding one weak side, one Carnifex creeping up the table, got it into position eventually to charge the Terminators when they were weakened. Um, so that that did make a big difference. Um, I think had the Terminators been in deep strike, I would have played an even more defensive game uh, just because it's a big threat range that they can cover. I mean, yeah, they're a big block of bodies, but 
I can only screen so much, especially on conversion where I'm starting only on, on the corner of the table. Deep Strike and Terminators is such a dangerous play from your opponent's perspective because like, they are still always vulnerable to screens if they find themselves in a screened position. And then also, when you fail that ELO 9, it's like, now I'm just in the middle of nowhere worth a move 5 unit. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's tough. And I think I got, I got lucky in game two because Russell basically brought them just into the middle of the table next to Abaddon and very few and like no support characters to speak of. So I got very lucky there. I think my round three's opponent was definitely trying to play the middle. He was definitely pushing up the middle. But once he saw me being KG, I think he also tried to be KG with the Terminators. He also tried to just use them to hold the middle and tried to get the hold more points. But Harpies do Harpy things, right? And they were in, they were in his backfield for 98% of the game, picking up uh, whatever, cultists, venom crawlers, chosen, whatever they could get their hands on, wings on. So Are you reliably like, killing like two units apiece with those harpies? Yeah, I would say so. It's almost like your harpies allow you to play the KG game as a fallback plan against these armies that go even more all-in on durability in combat, like Chaos Space Marines do. Uh, I imagine Blood Angels is probably a similar thing. You don't have to necessarily meet them in the middle on their terms. You can let the harpies just run the show for a while, weakening them, and then fight them on your terms. I think picking the engagement, Nick, you hit it right on the head. It's when you play slow, that's what happens. The slower you play, the more you force your opponent to come to you, the cager you are. When you say play slow, do you mean, you don't mean like slow play your opponent, like chess clock manipulation. You mean like no, take no. your time with the, the tempo of the game. Absolutely. Yeah. Deliberately like pacing it and, and, you know, playing it truly like a chess match where you are trying to see moves ahead, where you give yourself the time to deliberately pick up pieces and put them in the right position and watch as your opponent reacts to that and seeing what they do and giving yourself just time to think things through rather than stick to a plan brazenly. Uh, you mentioned say, that your your opponent reacted and then started to play, you know, caging reserved as well, not not coming out towards the middle, even though they have aggressive pieces. And that's that's exactly what happens. No one wants to be that first person to be caught out in the middle of nowhere exactly. uh, and receive that charge or you know, trade a piece or sorry, not trade a pace, just get a, get a unit taken. Yeah. Yeah. I got, and I got lucky in that matchup too. I put the zoanthropes slightly out of position, hoping to bait him out of cover, which worked, but the zoanthropes tanked every, everything. I mean, they, they made almost all of their four up saves over the course of That's two returns of combat. The, the, the trap to the zoanthrope is like, do you actually want to attack them? You could just not do anything. I hate attacking zoanthropes. Yeah. yeah. It's really, really rough. Because the smite back doing all those mortal wounds, even with the five up film of pain, I'm picking up two or three terminators. Well, you also, I know when zone throws do degrade in value because they get lose their bonuses to cast as they lose models in the unit. They lose the extra mortals as you lose models in the unit. But from that bonus perspective, I'm still getting powers casted at me. It's still a unit there. One zone throw might as well be three. Yeah, it's true. I mean, even at one zone throw, I'm doing D, I'm getting plus one to cast might, D3 plus one, or D6 plus one. Right, right. All right, let's move on from Chaos Space Marines. Unless you think there's, I guess, well, let's not yet. I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. What can they do in this matchup? Like, is it just keep on pressing into you, or, or obviously the dynamic shifts because you're the you're the KG one. You got harpies bombing around, and yeah. in other podcasts with Chaos Space Marines and in our YouTube videos with Chaos Space Marines, we've kind of acknowledged flyers are a legitimate problem for Chaos Space Marines. So, yeah. how do they even approach this problem you present them? I think the Demon Prince with wings is such a good option. It's such sweet tech to take down harpies. I think you can't you, you can't allow yourself to be disrupted by them, but you can't get, leave them unanswered. And I think the, the Venom Crawlers shooting at them with damage two weapons is super nice. The the Demon Prince going into them uh, and just trying to chew them up in close combat also very nice. 
Uh, anything you can do to hold them off, anything you can do to just pump fire. I think the Terminators, if they're going to start on the field, they've got to shoot them. I think you you press forward with the Terminators. Absolutely. You don't lose sight of the goal, which is to get towards your opponent and tie them up in combat with the Terminators. But you pump shots and fire back to the Terminator at the Harpies. You've got plasma. You've got Melta. You've got big damage weapons on these these Terminators that if one gets through, it's going to seriously hurt a 12-wound model. It's going to bracket it. And it's you don't. I think that's the thing. People get so wrapped up in killing the Harpies on turn one. It, turn one is not the game for Harpies. If the Harpies make it to turn three, that's the game. But turn one and two, if you can focus on bracketing them enough to slow them down, to make them slightly less of a problem, hitting on fours and fives with six Venom Cannon shots, if I'm getting three hits through, I'm lucky, like really lucky. Um, playing it, like just you, like you have to play it that way. I think realistically, everything else is struggling on, in, a, in a very real way to get into those Terminators in a way that the Harpies aren't from turn one. That's how I would. Play. That's how I see the opponents working it. Yeah. Fair what about their their secondary choices? I mean, do you do you feel like they put some appropriate ones, or do they, do they inadvertently disadvantage themselves with with what they took maybe in the, for that yeah. phase of the game? I think rise to rise to glory can be a trap in a matchup like this, right? Where I can pick the engagement, I can choose what to feed what character. Rise to glory is a bit of a trap, certainly, because yeah, you got super killy characters, but what happens when I play keep away the whole game? You know. And in my other matchup against Russell, the long war is amazing. He scored a lot of points on the long war. It's a really, really valuable secondary, by, by, for sure. Just killing things off objectives and getting the timing right with it and holding objectives. But he ended up also scoring more points on Rise to Glory because that's the way he plays, right? He played with three beat stick mean characters. So he's going to get value out of them. He's going to make sure he gets value out of them. So if you're going to pick one of those two, I think that's what you do, right? You just try to play to them and build your army to those strengths. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. All right, now I think it's safe for us to move on from from Chaos Space Marines to the other types of chaos in the game. You know, Death Guard Thousand Sons, they got a lot of love through the Nephilim data sheets and oh, yeah. balance stuff they've received. So um, they, they play fairly differently, and we can use this even as a segue to like Thousand Sons and the Great Knights or something. But focusing on chaos for now, how do you handle each of these armies, and what can they do versus you in return? Thousand Sons I have, I, is a known quantity for everybody at this point. It's You're seeing pretty much the same thing army to army with that. The psychic phase, getting like I, I make their so their plus one to cast if they're within shadow in the warp range, just a flat whatever's on the dice. Um, certainly, they've got cabal points to help mitigate that and stop me from denying their powers. Uh, but you know, if I put the right pressure in the right places, be maneuverable with the harpy with shadow in the warp, I can certainly make it a hard time for them in the psychic phase. No, no doubt about that. They have a lot of flex play with cult of duplicity, being able to just instantly teleport, move around, and 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 just renegotiate terrain and movement on on a turn by turn basis is so powerful for them. Um, that being said, I think Thousand Suns is just such a high risk, high reward army. When all of your plays hinge on what you can get off in the psychic phase, it's still a high risk reward environment. So I think if you're going to play Thousand Suns into Tyranids, it's trying to capitalize on what's the least risk with the highest reward. Uh, for the first couple of turns, and then on turn three, just letting it all go. I think you have to play naturally cagier with some of your units, especially the characters. They are, frankly, some of the characters are softer than they should be. Um, this like is I really can, in a- line with what we heard uh, Brad Townsend, our guest from last week with Thousands and say. He was, uh, he's basically advocating KG play with his Thousand Sons and opportunistically picking off targets and isolating your, weakening your opponent, and then going into like turn three. So, yeah. Great to see like alignment from the guests here. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think Brad's Brad's opinion on there is spot on. What about Death Guard? They're packing a lot of free stuff now. <laughs> yeah, Death Guard is a scary matchup. Um, I played against Death Guard at WarGamesCon in Bastrop, and the guy brought in three different Terminator 
minutes on turn four and all of them failed a nine inch charge. Had all of them made that nine inch charge, it's his game. But that is that is a, if, 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 if they're going to build a Terminator heavy list, that's going to be their play, right? They're going to drop in all these Terminators from Deep Strike because otherwise they'll get picked up other ways. Uh, and just they're going to go in. And if they go in hard and they, and they make it in, it's a big problem. I was thinking um, the Terminator army very much so, but I find that's a little bit inconsistent and uncommon because of that inconsistency. You know, yes. Yellow Nines is not going to get you through six rounds of a GT. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, like 40, 50 Plague Marines with free weapons might. So, like, yeah. mass minus one damage into these Tyranid Warriors seems good. All these weapons are perfectly capable of killing just about everything in your army. They are vulnerable to mortals, and you do quite a bit of that. So, how does this all shake down? Yeah, I think it's the mortal wound game, right? I think it's it's how many spore mines can I get in position to move to try to discourage the charge? How do I get Zoanthropes in position to pick up as much as I can? How do I do as many mortals with the Reaper? Just how how can I maximize mortal wounds into them? That's what they're playing against. Um, there's a really scary Nurgle list that topped uh, in, the, in the top eight uh, at um, Lone Star Open. That it was running Epidemius and a Poxbringer, so everything that dies just makes all the demon units get stronger. And I was so we were looking at this list and we we're thinking, what is this guy doing? This doesn't make any sense. And then we saw Epidemius and the Poxbringer and just started crying, like, oh no, oh no. But yeah, that's a real French list. That's I've seen that pop up a couple of times. I've never yeah. seen that. Epidemius and a Poxbringer in a Death Guard. Yeah, it's very because they, they bump the demons and the demon and the, the like more so seventh edition stuff. You know, I, I yeah. used to see this kind of thing, but like, well, I didn't know this even was a thing in ninth. It was just you, you don't have a solution for it. The more stuff you kill, the more stuff gets stronger, and the more stuff, even the more stuff he kills, the more stuff gets stronger because it tallies on friend and foe. It's a weird list, and I was praying. The more I was winning, and the more I saw my name and his name in the same area, I was like, oh, God, I don't want to play that list. I really don't want to play that list. That is so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's it's a, sc- a scary one. I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. 50 Plague Marines will get work done. There's no question about it. They're, even if they all die by the end of the game, by the end of the game, they will have made a massive impact because k- killing them all over the course of five turns is no small order by any means. Right. Uh, it is, they're, they're just so, so tough. They're, well, they're, it's they're not fighting. even over the course of five turns because they're obsec and they basically just wander to objective, spread the sickness, players abandon yeah. whatever they do and call it a the day. The secondary so. game got a lot better. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't have to do much aside from wander to objectives and kill anything that comes near them. Yeah, it's a, it's a scary matchup. And it's funny, Mortarian ends up not being the scariest part of that list, you know? No, he, he actually becomes a distraction card effects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it's just because he's not, I can, there's a lot of mobility ways to play him. 12 inches is fast for Death Guard, but not really for a lot of other opponents. And yeah, the secondary game for them is really spread the sickness banners and just keep milking points that way with endurance and resilience. I think that that's the play they get against here. It's right. It's just sit and do nothing like sisters and Necrons. If if you sit and do nothing and score 30 points, that's still, that's a, that's a pretty big, good, that's a pretty good way to play the game for them. Well, you know what? That that brings me to another point of topic. We've been breaking down army by army going through chaos here, but you just hit on a great point that some armies just build their strategy, especially Sisters and Necrons, some of the strongest armies in the game, around just sitting on their butts and scoring points on their own half of the board. Coming near them to engage them and give them a stop can be incredibly challenging because Repentia and Multi-Melta Retributors and Catan and Silent King are horrifying at close range. So the challenge is they start out beating you, and when you go to do something about it, they beat you even more. How do you approach those kinds of matchups? 
it's it's hard because sisters sisters are, are the best trading army in the game. I think uh, Drukari were for a hot minute, but uh, not with rack spam anymore. I think S- sisters just love to trade. They're there to trade. You're going to pick up 100 points. They're going to pick up 300. It's it's very very tricky to to play into that. Harpies still have a bit of an advantage here, even with Zephyrim and it, be, it being a, a big body unit that you take in a, in a bloody rose good stuff. I think harpies still have play here because I can crack vehicles, I can wound battle suits, I can I can definitely put a hurt on Morbin with them mortal wounds into the big bricks of Repentia once they're out of the Rhino from the Spormine bomb run is is still very good. So harpies definitely see their worth there. I think it's just again how they get tied up with Zephyrim or any other flyers, even Celestine going around killing them up. I think yeah, it's it's hard. I don't I don't like feeding those units to an army to keep them penned up in their deployment zone on their objectives when keeping them penned up on one side of the board is still scoring them points. It's that's really, it really feels bad. Um, Lots of points. Yeah. So, so many points. I think it's an army that I have to, I have to really try to come forward with and just try to bracket as hard as I can. It's, I have to trust that I have more resilience than they do in some cases, even with Miracle Dice, even with Sacrosense and their Storm Shields. I really do have to try to trust my own resilience and, and get up the table. Carnifexes into Sacrosense are actually really funny. Because I can always reliably kill a couple of them, and they can, they're going to struggle for two or three turns to kill one Carnifex, even with volume of attacks, reducing the damage, having the native tube save. Uh, like I said, Carnifex is the best value data sheet in the game. See the Carnifex's struggle versus like the multi melter retributors on the way in. Honestly, sometimes yes, sometimes no, because there's so many targets for the multi melters. Right, the Carnifexes are natively reducing damage by one, which means you have to put two multi melters into them to get a good kill. Even at max damage and good melter range, you're still not killing a Carnifex with one multi-melter. Um, you need, you like, your, your, your dice are just not always going to get there. Uh, I'm still getting a six-up save. I'm still going to be, like, there's other mitigating factors here. Um, so, they're, it, it's still it's still not great for them. Yes, a whole squad of multi-melters will, uh, will, multi-melters will pick up the Carnifex. There's still two more on the table. There's still everything else on the table. And the multi-melters, frankly, their best target is going to be something like the Flying Hive Tyrant or going into the Harpies where they can use those Miracle Dice to make sure they hit the Harpies, things like that. So you, you mentioned effect. Sisters were like the best army at trading, but I, I'd propose that against your specific types of durability, they don't trade too effectively because they only have a few units that can answer you at range, the multi-melter retributors, and if they trade into Carnifexes, you just kill them in return, and that problem solved. Things like Repentia are really great into you. They will get the first hit into you, and that sucks. But your whole army is offense, in a way. So it's like... Their whole army isn't. They're trading up in value, like a 100-point Repentia squad kills way more than 100 points when it dies. But as far as number of resources, I think you're because you have your entire faction is a resource here. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And the ironically, the Venomthropes do amazing work here, too. Just the aura of minus one to hit, and also the forcing fight last, which is really funny into Repentia. That's what I'm Uh, saying. Yeah, like every every model you have has value in close combat and with its rules, even even like you're not offense models like Venomthropes. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. It's a war. It ends up being that war of attrition, right? That they're, they're, they're trying to fight really hard into really defensive units that can swing back and punch hard. Uh, but they can play that war of attrition, right? If they, if they do that long enough, they're still scoring defend the shrine. They're still scoring banners. They're still scoring, uh, sacred grounds because they've got plenty of action monkey units running around too. Um, it, it ends up being that scary matchup. I think my advice to sisters players into my list is really also just, Try to hold them off. Try to hold the Tyranids off. They're they're resilient. You're attacky. Keep throwing hammer and anvil together uh, and see what chips first while you're just playing your secondary game. So how do you, I guess, with your as the Tyranid opponent, Tyranid yeah. player, just your approach is literally just go into it 
and like there's no other way through it. There's no other way through it. You can't let I cannot afford to let them sit there score sacred ground points. Cannot afford to let them just keep doing actions. I need to just commit models to killing stuff. Yeah, I think that's it's true. absolutely correct. Did you just know? Um, yeah. I wanted to make sure I understood. What about Necrons? Because they also just oh. rail up the secondary points, but they're not as destructive with their damage output. And they're, they're yeah. different with it as well. Yeah, it is different. Necrons, I have not, I'm going to be honest, I have not played a lot of games against the new Codex. I think I've only played one game against the new Codex. Uh, the Codex hasn't changed. We're still three oh, years old with that one. But it feels like a new Codex, it right? Really does. It does feel like a whole new lease on life. It yeah. really does feel like a whole new lease on life. That's the thing. Like if you, it, it's, not a new, it's not a new Codex, but it feels like a new Codex. All these new core keywords, all these point changes, all these rule changes. I feel like I have a lot of relearning to do. Based on what I've seen and what I've read, my strategy is... I cannot pick up a unit of Necron, a 20 Necron Warriors in a turn. There's nothing in my army that picks up a full 20. And while that's depressing and sad, uh, at least in shooting, I can't do it. I also recognize that that's not necessarily the ball game anymore. That's not necessarily the goal anymore. When everything is obsec, the troops that were already obsec aren't your biggest concern. The biggest concern is that nine-man brick of scarabs or the Scorpec destroyers or uh, uh, Lich Guard being just frighteningly tough with Storm Shields now. Uh, people bringing immortals too is a big problem. Trying to figure out a way to play around that. Uh, there's a real list I was reading about that's three monoliths, the Silent King, and about 700 points of just fast stuff doing actions all over the table. Yeah, I can kill Ophidian Destroyers, but there's another unit. There's more fast stuff. And there, there's monoliths coming down the table. There's 90 wounds at T8 with two up saves. Catan, sure, I can deal with Catan because the Reaper of Axe will get into them. And I got, I got the mortals in the psychic phase. I got damage in the shooting and close combat. Absolutely. But... Again, it's also a picking battles thing. Catan are slow enough in some areas and fast enough in others, depending on the mission, depending on the mission and the matchup, that they can also kind of pick the engagement when they want to come out, where they want to play aggressive into. Um, and their mortal wound output back to me is still something I have to reckon with. Um, it really is, I think, uh, not just to go first matchup, but how much disruption can the harpies do? Because they can. I mean, the Silent King with two men here is lucky shots, lucky damage through. Will pop one harpy in one turn. Uh, if he focuses both of the men here is on them, which is great for me. But in return, I don't know that I can kill the Silent King in one turn with all, 12 Venom Cannon shots. It's hard. It's a, it's, a, it's a legitimately really, really tough and scary matchup. I think the best plays I have are really just go wide, try to play sort of cagey and look for an opening, look for a moment, and keep trying to fend off as many of the, the obstacle bodies as I can. When do you commit to the to the Silent King? Is Because he has to go down. And, and I mean, is it priority target number one, or do you... Try to skirt around him. Maybe he's trying to use train to his advantage. You use train to your advantage and, and get some things outside his his bubbles. To offer a different line of thinking, as to yeah. being on the receiving end of Richard Siegler's Necrons for more times than I ever care to remember, <laughs> I have found going for the Silent King to be a huge trap because what ultimately wins the game for the Necrons is the army around the Silent King scoring thousands of points. And the Silent King is often more than a one-turn venture. It's I have not found an army that reliably one-turns him. Maybe four tower rail guns, something like that. But yeah. shy of that, no reasonable army is killing that thing in one turn. So you can dump your entire turn's worth of damage into him and let the Necrons just run rampant on the scoreboard and board control. And that has never yeah. been a winning strategy from what I have seen. Now, if the Silent King is like up on the front lines and just taking damage for no reason, sure. But that's rarely the case. Well, you've killed him, but they're also up 30 points exactly. because of... The time, yeah. right? The effort it okay. takes, the time it takes, costs you the game in, in opportunity cost. Uh, it is certainly what a lot of Necron players are banking on. Um, 
there, there's one moment I saw where an Eldar player running Avatar of Cain just melt a lance, use the range melt that, that hits other models too in the line of fire into Zerus. But again, didn't kill either of them, right? Maybe pops one here, here and puts some damage on Zerus, but doesn't kill either of them. Uh, and that's a very powerful attack that can hit so many things in a row that you've effectively just sort of miffed into them. Um, so I think, yeah, Nick's point's very well taken here that it is it can be sort of a waste over the, over the course of the game. I think he ha- you're right, but he, if he has to go down, he's got to be the last thing to go down. I think it's hard to ignore those damage six shots, but I got to trust that it's not going to kill a Carnifex. I got to trust that shooting into Harpies with them is high risk, high reward. Um, I gotta, it's, you know, I got to. It's like a, the way I've found it, because like it sucks eating those things. It really does. So, yeah. But it's over the course of the game, because what happens when you ignore the signing thing is you eat that for five turns. It's like every other turn, it picks up one Carnifex. Right. And that, right. that is a, a sustainable rate. When it picks up one in the first turn, it feels terrible, but like it doesn't necessarily pick one up turn two, and that's a net average you can handle. Yeah. I think that's the thing, right? We're talking about slow play. Carn- like Necrons require a very different kind of slow play, where it's not, you know, taking it, you're not, you're not trying to rush the table, but you're also not trying to do nothing. You know, you're trying to screen, trying to hide, you're trying to play the game, but you're trying to play it so that, yeah, it's okay if every other turn of Carnifex dies. You, yeah, you're, we're going it. at a pace. What, yeah. what is the acceptable pace that you are, your point to uh, wound him or, or model hemorrhage your ratio? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a pace game. Yeah. Um, it's a good discussion, especially because you didn't actually get the chance to play against them, unfortunately. But I think the, yeah. even the theory has a lot of value to it, just the back and forth of the, the yeah. talking around the match. Guys, I got to tell you, watching Necron players at this at Lone Star Open score a hundred points every game reliably had me sweating in my boots. I can, um, I can being imagine. in, you being, you know, go, being at five and oh, four and oh, and watching, watching these Necron players, like, like three or four Necron players in my, in my bracket and seeing their lists and just like scheming. Okay. I know I'm going to play into Necrons. I know I'm going to play into Necrons. It's going to happen at some point. What the fuck do I do? What the fuck do I do? Um, well, and then just at ATC, same thing, you know, just looking at the leaderboard and singles for funsies, you know, not that Paul or I were in contention with that on our teams, but you know, it's Necrons, 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 Necrons in the top six spots. It's like, what's going well, on here? At the LSO, the Necron versus Necron, like top table mirror at one point was mm-hmm. an like a 89 to 79 point game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. it's wild. It's a, it's a, it's a wild time out there. So I mean, yeah. most players, you know, if you say, "Oh, I lost that game. I scored seventy nine points," <laughs> right? You know, that didn't feel good. <laughs> that, that didn't feel good. <laughs> if you're, let, let's get let's bring it back to the matchups. Uh, every game we've talked about so far, chaos matchups, sisters, Necrons—they've all started at some point with the harpies being playmakers. Yes. What happens theoretically? You're in a situation. You're playing against like Tau or Imperial Knights or like some offensive shooting. You know, your harpies can just go second and get shot. And I know they're tough, but are they are they railgun tough or night shooting tough? Yeah, that is the question, right? With Tau, it's a matter of putting the harpies further back, right? Because Tau's benefits always go to the closest model, right? Or the closest unit. Um, for the Moncon, the Kalyan, they, they get bonuses for that. But things like railguns will just shoot. R- railguns do not care where you are. Yeah, yeah <laughs> railguns don't care where I am. Fair, true. So, but, but that's the thing. Like the railguns again, high risk, high reward. I both. The, the, if I'm going second against Tau, if I'm going second against Tau, the turn one snap to comparative is the four up invul. That means that both harpies on turn one, the way I have them kitted, will have a four up invul on turn one. So minus one to hit, four up invul, not being the closest unit, so that every even if the railguns uh, don't care about it, the rest of the army cares about it. Um, and so there's still value there. Even so, if the railguns do fail to pick up one of them, the rest of the army is struggling into picking up the other. Um, or, you know what I mean? Sorry, succeed to pick up one. The rest of the army is struggling to pick up the other. Yeah, you're not losing, is, unless they have like literally four railguns, or, or you're not losing two harpies to railguns. Correct. 
Correct. The one game I played where both harpies went down on turn one was against 13 war dog chaos knights That's just a, shooting yeah they shoot auto into them they shoot so how do you come back from that like, position you know go second god alpha struck because that's kind of the the downside to running these flyers and you mitigate it with list construction being leviathan and springing for synapse making them so durable yeah. but if it sucks then now you're 450 in the hole yeah it's uh it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel good to start the game with like a quarter of my army gone um it usually is not going to play well for me unfortunately that is that is one of the hardest parts about playing an aircraft, playing aircraft with your army. The more you commit to the aircraft, the more you make your chance of losing the game go up. Because uh, that game I had where both knights went, where both the, the harpies went down, the knights took it easily. Uh, granted, it was my first game against Chaos Knights. I didn't know anything about what they did. I didn't realize that that war dog carnivore warlord can ignore impulse, which was really bad against the high <laughs> flying high turret. It's called the blood shield. It's very deceptive. Oh it's yeah, like, it, it says what? <laughs> yeah, it says, wait a minute, it says what? Um, yeah, I said it's a real feels bad. I think I have to try to play cagier then. I have to let the opponent come to me and trust that, you know, they're going to be waves breaking on rocks uh, and hope that I can stay together long enough to break them uh, by, before pushing forward. Because if I lose that distraction play, I don't really have anything else that, that can do that. The Hive Tyrant moves 17 inches, but that's not enough in some games to get to their deployment zone. And he's only one model, one unit, and he's my biggest flying killer. So he can't, like, if he goes into a screen or something and kills that, he gets picked up the next turn. Um, and I have to make sure that I have the CP he's available. He's not there to be the distraction. He's there to be the, the finishing blow with a consistent killer. Exactly. Exactly. It's not the right role for him to go up and just to try to do that. I can feed them Carnifexes all the live long day, but again, Carnifexes can be move blocked. So if the Tau player does turn one, 30 breachers in my front line, crew hounds in my front line, broadsides popping, or not broadsides, um, railguns in the backfield, and and little uh, crisis suits running up the midboard, it's hard. I move blocks so effectively there. I got to chew through all those breachers, chew through all those those uh, crude hounds. Is and that like a hopeless situation just, that you that you are willing to accept as a position you could find yourself in with this army archetype, or do you think there's still maneuvers from there? I never want to say it's hopeless. I always want to play the game. I never want to just get to a point where like, yeah, mathematically I lose, so that means I lose for real. Um, I always want to play the game because I, I genuinely enjoy playing it, and I have always been. I, this is the first big one I've ever had. I have always been from the perspective, you don't learn anything from winning. You learn everything from losing. Um, that's actually true when you hear people laugh. I haven't lost a game in a hundred games or whatever. You're just probably not playing the right people at that yeah. point. It yeah. doesn't mean you're exactly. amazing. That means you're, yeah. you're punching below your weight class. Yeah. We actually yeah, have all shown that unbroken where we teach you how to learn from your losses. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And I, so I don't mind I don't mind losing the game. I really don't. It, it is, it, look, there are some opponents where if they're being a dick about it or if they're running the clock out or they're just being cheeky in some really dickish way, it, it hurts. And those are kind of feel-bad moments. But the game is still the game. It's still fun. Um, I still enjoy playing it. I'm there. That's what I'm there for. I'm, I showed up at Dallas not to enjoy the wonderful sights and sounds of that concrete jungle, but to play six games of Warhammer, you know? For sure. No, I for respect sure. that. So, like, just... From that position, um, where you've lost the Harpies against the Chaos Knights, or if you lost the Harpies against the Tau, and now it's your turn. Bottom of turn one, 1,500 points left in your army. Where do you begin? How do you actually go about unpacking that situation? Even if you're down and you're going to swing for the fences, you're going to go for it. How do you make those moves? I try to assess. I try to say, okay, where's my opponent? Where have they moved to? What are they thinking is going to happen for their next turn? And how do I either meet them and beat them there, or move away from them, you know, regroup, reorganize my structure, because I'm usually deploying for the Harpies and for, for a go-second move where the rest of the army is hiding. So how do I get on a more aggressive footing? If I'm going to play more aggressive, how do I reorganize my backline uh, and then go for it? Then turn three, 
you know, depending on what's left after that point, after I've just regrouped my deployment zone, usually that point by turn by on turn two, uh, the opponent's there, right? The opponent is, is either in the midboard or very close to my deployment zone. So I can start making more aggressive moves with more durable units. The Carnifexes can come out. The big nine-man squad of turned warriors, if it's got all the psychic powers it needs uh, to buff it, uh, are out and and they're there and they're they're picking things up. And then the hope is that on turn three, they try to throw more stuff into that super dense, durable blob. And that's on my turn three when the hive turn can come out. I, I try to play it as the turn three game. Hive everything on turn one, try to meet a little bit with durable units on turn two, and then bring the hammer down on turn three with the flying hive tyrant to pick up that key unit and then hope that they're reeling in turns four and five. Yeah, I, th- I like the general philosophy there. Basically, when you get hit in the head turn one and you just got the wind knocked out of you, take a yeah. minute, regroup, kind of play cagey and try to get your opponent to, I guess, f- keep his foot on the gas, um, You know, yeah. continue to push the momentum that they've gained and use yeah. that momentum that they're trying to get on you. Like They're trying to put the finishing blow on you, but if you turtle up, you can kind of latch on to what they've given you and, and claw back, actually. They're, yeah. they're allowing you to get back in the game. Nick, did you ever do boxing? You're using a lot of great boxing metaphors here that are very, very apt. No, I, <laughs> I actually don't know anything about boxing or fighting, but I've been doing coaching for quite a while. Because yeah, everything you get, told me is exactly what experienced boxers do when they go against younger, um, maybe more athletic or energetic or more scary opponents. When they take that hit, they take the time to regroup. They trust in their ability to absorb body blows and punches and, and still function after a while and then wait for that moment to strike. Um, like more older and veteran boxers will constantly do that. They'll they'll take that one big hit, focus and regroup, and then come back for the vicious counter. Hon- honestly, I just described what I would do in that situation and, and kind of applied it to yourself, but it's cool that it applies like cross game to sport like that. I, that is, I think that's true in a lot of sports, I'd imagine, or a lot of things where what else can you do? You just, you figure it out from there. But recognizing that, and that's the real trick, and that's what the experience does is recognizing when to do that. Because let's let's use the getting punched in the face as an example. A lot of folks might not think about I need to regroup and 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 you know settle in and and protect the the vital spots. Don't get my bell rung again or whatever. That lets off it sets off all these alarms. Like the fight or flight is a real thing. And and in that situation, without really knowing how to process or having something in you that 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 instinct you know over intellect kicks in or whatever you know you you start going into those flight mechanisms and, and trying to claw back in make maybe risky moves that mathematically should never work uh, granted you do have to make the plays that you got to make sometimes a bad play is your only play and you and you hope to roll sixes you know that's you're not you're not going to win a bunch of that's games just hoping for that that's that's like, sixes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 but you can still you can still every now and then it comes out but being able to 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 uh try to capitalize on what is possible and and see not get spooked you really not you know not get kind of freaked out of the situation and continue yeah. to make good plays yeah that was i, I know I'm, you're, you're making me think about my earliest days playing 40k especially when i got back into the hobby uh, a couple years back all i did was panic plays every every play was a panic that's how a lot of people learn i, I found <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of sweating you know oh, yeah. <laughs> what do i do man what do i do I mean, that could be fun situations, but, you know, we're talking about how to, how to turn, you know, how to turn your five, uh, five and one into a six. Oh, you know, kind of thing. This, this is kind of things to think about. For sure. Um, for the interest of time, I want uh, to talk about just like two more things real quick. Blood angels and the Eldari are two armies that have been up and coming or been here for a while. Um, they play very differently. Blood angels, obviously trying to smash your face and take the center, kind of like what you're trying to do. 
Is that just the brawl and one of you comes out on top, or is there more dynamics to that? And Paul, I mean, I mean, you, I don't want to speak for you with the Blood Angels here. Oh, he's already figured out, you know, the Blood Angels are going to have to come at you. That, but that's, we were talking earlier about how to play that KG and, and kind of baiting your opponent into making the first move, and, into making potentially a, a wrong move. That's exactly what uh, the situation you'd be in, I think, playing against a, a competent Blood Angel player. I mean, they have every instinct to throw it out there in the middle, but can't necessarily lock up against everything that you have. No, it's, yeah, I think that the Blood Angels players that I've seen or played against in, in recent memory, certainly before the data slate and before these up, point updates, um, have played it that way where they certainly get in, they want to be in as combat as early as possible, doing as much damage as possible, hitting as hard as possible. Uh, but there was one guy I played who was one of the, one of the better Blood Angels I've, I've, players I've seen, worked really hard to pick his fights. He worked really hard to feed me the right unit at the right time so that you have the better unit to counterpunch with. Whether that was the Assault Intercessors or the Sanguinary Guard, he really did try hard to pick his fights. And that's something I really I think I admire about Blood Angels players is that when they when they go in you know, with a clear head, just not trying to smash face from the get-go, but focusing on, if I'm going to smash face, where am I going to smash first? What's the smash plan? Where are the Death Company going? Where are the Assault Intercessors going? Where are the Sanguinary Guard showing up? That you waste your units when you have a small footprint of an army. I mean, when yes. everything fits in the palm of your hand in between games, you know, it's kind of tough. But uh, kind of cut into the chase, angel sacrifice is a big deal. You know that yeah. that can that can kind of blank one of your turns, your your, your whole situation. That's the stratagem that uh, units within engage range of a character you can pop and burn the command point and makes everyone attack that character that can't attack that character. Yeah. It's a great you, way to get around potential interrupt plays or or just lets you engage like the whole Blind Army can charge you at the same time and there's nothing you can do to stop that. Yeah. Do you have a plan for that? Or is have you encountered that in a way that you you've figured out a way to what you have commit to make that less of an impact? Never get in combat with more than one unit at a time. In term like in meaning like one of my units. Like never have more than one unit at a time in in combat. When they um, move faster, though, like let's say the button just move first and just get up in midfield, like how do you then approach it without just getting in combat with more than one thing? This is a very difficult thing to solve for, by the way, because yeah. like the Blood Angels can kind of dictate this and then heroic intervention with the Sanguiner and that, you know, yeah. that, that kind of stuff. Is one of the strongest armies in the game, this scenario I'm describing. Yeah. It's not one that I have seen. I think my gut reaction is to play the ring. Tyranids are an adaptive force, let them adapt to me playing the ring of the board go doesn't matter if there's not objectives there just play around on the edges and force them to pick a side to come to do That's you want to charge really the similar to what brad's answer last week was as well from his thousand sensor stuff he's like just spread out make them spread make out. them chase you yeah if they want to come into combat they got to come on one side or the other they don't get to pick you got to make them like they're gonna they don't get to pick the best one they got to pick one of them yeah dig that uh and then i guess the Eldari, you know, oh, there's been yeah. several different versions of Eldari out there, but they, you know, they do a lot of damage. Yeah. And like, it's that's one of those things they could be all over the place and, and pick up units here and there. They can trade very, very favorably. And what, one of the things that Nick and I say is that we were talking about taking earlier. They don't trade. They just kind of sit, get out there and melt your units and then fade away. Yeah. It's hard. I think if they have a fate dice for hits on the first turn, that pulsar into a harpy with auto hits is, uh, doesn't feel good. It's a, it's a rough one. Because um, just being able to burn fate dice to guarantee take down a single harpy in one turn is pretty good. So that they can get rid of my disruption tech easily. They're very good at move blocking with rangers and shroud runners. Um, jet bike spam is hard. I, I, the thing with Eldar, I constantly struggle with is target priority. Where should I be putting all of my shots? Do I need to be taking down their high anti armor things? Do I need to be making ch- dents into the um, the, the hail of doom bricks, the uh, dire avengers? 
because at some point I need to, otherwise they're going to just like that many shots into whatever is going to kill it. As the Eldar player in this order, I don't want to lose jet bikes. And then I don't want to lose dire Avengers. Everything else. I don't care. Yeah. And when yeah. I say jet bikes, I mean, let's share cannon bikes. If they're the compatible bikes, they're made to die. So then it's just Avengers. Yes, yes absolutely. That, that certainly makes sense. Um, I think it gets more complicated when you see big models like the Avatar of Kane just running up the table towards you or popping out of the web gate, webway I gate. Think those are when distractions. A- like, like as an Eldar player, I literally include that, give it fortune, let it run up the table, and hopefully people try to kill it. Kind of like killing the Silent King is a bit of a trap in the Necron army. Yeah. Killing the Avatar is the same idea. That's true. That's true. I just my my terror is that the you know the Silent King is not as much of a melee beat stick as the avatar. He has more wounds, certainly, but he's a generalist character, whereas the avatar is just designed to kill and keep killing. I mean, he has all incoming damage. Venom cannons are doing two, three, like two damage against him. Crushing claws from chariots are doing two to three damage against him. He, he is a big distraction, but he's an expensive one too. Definitely. Definitely. I dig it. The other, the target priority Eldar aside, like how do you even interact with an army that you can't really hit? I, I try to, you know, I, I hope that the harpies can tie them up for at least two turns, push the warriors forward, and, and try to hit them into high value targets while also staying away from the dire avengers if possible. Um, staying away from Eldar seems like a risky proposition even to begin with. Everything is just so fast. Um, but also maybe trying to feed the dire avengers obvious targets. A greedy El- there's a lot of greedy Eldar players out there, and the thought of a bunch of dire avengers picking up a carnifex for them is so tasty they may go for it. And if that if they do, and I, they're in a position where I can pick them up the next turn, that's great. If I can feed them a Carnifex on my terms and dictate that battle from there, that's pretty good. Jet bikes are going to want to run up the board, hold objectives, and then zip around blasting at weaker parts of the army. Uh, so shoring up defensive lines around them is going to be important. Uh, trying to take the fight to them. Honestly, maybe just send the harpies at them. You know, Let them lightning fast into the harpies and, and see what happens there. See what four damage into bikes does. See how many I can pick up in a turn or two. That seems like a fun play because um, then I'm not coming into their backfields. So they're, they're not tied up there. They want to come out. They want to be more aggressive against the harpies and come out and play against the board to shoot them more. Um, and when they come out onto the table, that's when I can push the rest of the army out onto the table. Yeah, I think that's a pretty spot on strategy and what I found effective tier players do against me. Yeah. Oh, that pretty much wraps it up for my interrogation of Yasser and yeah. Tyranids. Psychic interrogation. Seriously, I appreciate it. You like that. <laughs> That that is our show. Uh, I really like the the it, through every step of the way that precision that pers- the, that uh, discipline play seemed to ring out through all the strategy or strategies. Uh, almost seems like obvious. Of course, you went six of. Of course, you dominated. Of course, you got a plan uh, and was able to actually put it to work on the table, which is cool to hear about. And thanks for sharing your experience with us. Yeah, yeah. So you were a pleasure to interview. Very fun guest. I enjoyed talking to you, and it's with you. Feel free to come back anytime, man. This is awesome. Seriously, anytime you guys want to have me, I am so happy. Tenth edition Tyranids. Let's go. We'll talk. We'll talk all about it. All then. There you go. Have a great rest of your evening. Thanks to all the listeners. We'll see y'all next week. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40k network. The Art of War 40K.com.